You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Monday, August 23rd, Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton, kicking off the week because Peter's a, a little much. You need to wait till Tuesday to have him. Uh, we kind of guide you in and we get you ready for the week. Uh, Peter's the Peter's exactly what you need on a Friday. Peter's a Friday guy. Yeah. I don't know if he's a Monday guy. I never thought about that. Yeah, Peter on a Monday would piss me off. <laughs> he's just so happy and energetic and stuff. I'm like, no, you're, you're not supposed to be that way today. Uh, if I'm listening to a podcast with Peter on a Monday, uh, I think I'd get pretty frustrated. So you hear that, that's Pete? not even criticism of Peter. It's like, I wish, I wish life was that enjoyable for me, but as yeah. a Marlins fan and you know, all that good stuff growing up, I think I just kind of got into survival mode and I can't get out of it. Yeah. You're just a bit jaded. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just autopilot. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, at points I hear you. I'm sorry if that's full time, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you hear that pete um you gotta either bring it down or we're being total scrooges and we just need to have you on the monday show to infuse life into the audience well i, I want the i want to be able to I, I want the audience to be able to identify with me and yeah. if you're miserable on a monday just know i'm I, i'm miserable too <laughs> but j- jokes aside honestly it, it, it has become where it doesn't feel like a work day now that we're doing this whole just baseball thing you know yeah. it, when it is friday it doesn't feel like Friday for a good reason, because every day just is so much fun. You know, we start doing the Twitch streams now and, you know, it's been so awesome seeing people come and watch us play video games, you know, and, and interact with us. And we're able to answer questions. I feel like through Twitch, I, I always leave my DMS open. I leave everything. I try to interact with everybody as much as I can, but I feel like through Twitch, I've really been able to interact with our listeners or readers or whoever it is that we're so lucky and grateful supports just baseball it's been really fun. Uh, so it, it has become, you know, just really like it doesn't feel like work. Uh, and it's been so much fun. I know you're grinding the minor league season as well, but this side of things, uh, we always have a good time when we do these episodes. Yeah, dude, it's been a blast. And I agree with you on Twitch, although I haven't been on Twitch yet. But where I see the interaction come is in the TikTok live. It is so fun mm-hmm. to do the TikTok live and constantly have the rapid fire Q&A and so many people are in there just dropping a little bit of love in the comments or just tapping and making the hearts float up and all that stuff. That, that's great. Yourself. I just get the, why are you wearing makeup thing? Because I have long eyelashes or whatever. Man. Um, so Pete, they asked me why I wear makeup. 
But, they probably also ask you where Peter is. Oh, well, that one too. That's a given. And that doesn't feel great. You know, I know Peter's awesome. I know he is. But I when I go on and I do this live and I take an hour out of my day, I'm editing articles. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'll stay up a little bit later today. I'll interact with people. And the first thing I get is where's Peter? Yeah. Like, Who are you? Uh, whatever. Like, uh, not the co-founder of just baseball.com, but oh. it's like, where's Peter? Now imagine just showing up somewhere. And every time you show up, they just ask you, you know, like, where, where's your twin or like, where's your brother? Man. Yeah. I understand. That's gotta be what like Dave Franco goes through. <laughs> yeah. Man, who else? Uh, I feel like there have to be some very notable second fiddles that I'm just Ben Verlander. Ben Verlander for sure. Yes. Uh, I, we we're five minutes in and we've already kind of shit on Peter Apple a lot. So let's take a moment. You're still laughing about that. Oh God. Um, let's take a moment to appreciate the greatness that is the little league world series and also Miguel Cabrera happening on the same damn day. Let's start with the little league world series because I know Miguel Cabrera is going to push the remainder of the episode forward but this is one of my favorite events in any sport to watch because it's so wholesome and it's so fun to watch the kids that are just dominant because you always remember that kid. I was not that kid. I had friends that were that kid. And I know if they were on national TV, they were going to shove and they were going to be that international sensation that Monet Davis became that so many people showed up and showed out in the Little League World Series it's one of my favorite things to watch because it gives these 12 year olds this chance to shine while they still really, really love the sport of baseball. Well, that, that's the best. That's the best point right there. Right. They, they always say uh, it's what baseball in its purest form. Yeah. And that really just hits the nail on the head. And it really is what baseball is all about. It's a great reminder. And I think there's a reason why. I mean, you saw Mike Trout today. Mike Trout was there just walking around the ballpark. You think he's doing that because he enjoys the attention? No, he's doing it because he probably enjoys the atmosphere and it brings him back a little bit, especially now that he's on the shelf with the injury. But I feel like almost every ball player needs to go to the Little League World Series, every big leaguer, to remember and almost rejuvenate themselves into this is what I love. This is where I started because it's so easy to get away from that. I think even you and I got away from the joy a little bit in high school as we're looking at where we're going to play in college and we're totally. putting pressure on ourselves in these showcases. I mean, did you have fun in your summer tournaments? I didn't. No, I never I had never fun. Did. Never. I had fun in high school, but I never had fun in my summer tournaments. It was always like, this coach is coming to see me, this or this. I need to do that. Yeah. Uh, the showcases were miserable. Uh, you really get away from that. And imagine it now on a career standpoint where it's like, if you don't perform, it affects you financially. It affects this and that I, you get away from it. So I feel like being able to go back to the little league world series, like Mike Trout did today uh, and just remember where it all came from and, and what makes the game so awesome. It, it really is something that I think even we get something out of as fans, not even being there is just, this is what it's all about. And it really helps preserve and remind, I think, you know, just what makes baseball so special. So I love tuning in and we got that kid from South Dakota how do you pronounce his last name again? It's Gavin Ware. Ware? Weir? Weir? Uh, he shoves, uh, which puts it lightly. What, what is it, over 500 and something pitches, and he's given up one hit? I've got, I, I've got this right here. His last seven starts. So the road to Williamsport and his first couple of starts in Williamsport, 37 and two-thirds innings, 526 pitches. So 37 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 100 guys in 37 and two-thirds innings. He's allowed one hit. 
and no earned runs. I mean, this kid's, a, he's so fun. And Twitter blew up trying to tell him that his UCL was going to combust because oh my God. his mechanics look exactly like Chris Sales. I say, you know what? This kid's a flamethrower and he throws as hard as he can and he locates as well as he can. And he's a joy to watch and just enjoy it. Don't be, don't be a dick on Twitter. You don't have do to be. Do you really dick. care about this kid's UCL too? Or are you just trying to like flex your nose? There's one account. I forget what his name is, but he loves to Monday morning quarterback uh, these injuries and say teams don't know how to preserve their points. I bet you this freak show has a tweet about where I don't even want to mention his name, but he will jump on guys that a, a kid passed away from Tommy John surgery complications. Remember we and talked George about it? And this yeah. guy was jumping on it, jumping on it. Like, Blah, blah, blah. His death would have been avoided if they'd had proper arm care techniques, like stuff like that. Uh-huh. And just just a just a piece of crap. So if you're one of those injury predictors, you suck like that. Yeah. I, I, and I, I never want to alienate our listeners because I love all different kinds of fans. That's just a bad person, in my opinion. You yeah, can say but- that this person is at risk for injury. But I think when you're looking at a 12 year old and you're saying that kid's going to tear his UCL, like, come on, come, come on. on, like just it, it, you don't even know that. Throwing a ball, period, is the most abnormal thing we do in sports. I, I don't know if there's very many other more abnormal things. And guys that throw straight over the top tear their UCL, guys that go straight you know, down low tear their UCL. And honestly, I had a kid on my high school team that threw that same way. He played at University of Alabama. He was a hell of a ball player and had a great collegiate career. And you know what? He had a rubber arm. He never had an arm issue. I feel like it's just one of those weird uh, – I don't even know what the word would, would be, but almost like a, like a folk tale that if you throw a little bit lower than the normal arm slot, it's more strain on your arm. It's not necessarily the case. It's more of what you do with the rest of your body that really yeah. matters. And, and, and there are some mechanical cues that kind of tip off if you could have elbow issues. But for the most part, it's kind of a, a crapshoot as to who gets hurt. And you're right. It is the most abnormal thing done in sports it's also one of the more mysterious things in sports. How did the human body transform to be able to throw 105 miles an hour? And how long is that sustainable? There are no answers. So the people that try to answer those questions when we know there's no answer to it, yeah. piss me off. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we, have, we have teams investing tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into figuring out what the best way to maintain the health of their pitchers is and uh, whether, whether it's a team or whether it's a franchise, whether it's doctors that, you know, like James Andrews that wants to solidify himself, which he already has as, you know, the pioneer in, in that industry in, uh, in preserving the health of pitchers. You think that some dude behind a keyboard has it figured out more so than all of those people investing their entire lives. That's like saying, nope. you know, you know, the cure to a disease that we haven't been able to find yet. You know, like it just doesn't make any sense. Right. And I, I just think, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, those mechanics are bad. He's not going to be healthy, but th- there's so much more that goes into it. And also what I've learned more of recently is just how much every UCL is different. So mm-hmm. some players are going to have UCLs that are like, you know, more elastic. Some are going to have some that are smaller. So they're getting stretched out even more. And it's really just case by case. It's really just person to person. It's not, I feel like a lot of it is biological and you almost some people, it's probably inevitable that they're going to tear their UCL and they'll come back and they'll be better. But it's just, there's no predicting it. And, and I think trying to is, is ridiculous. But as we digress from that, this kid is special. 
he's flipping curveballs in there. That's the only thing, though. I was like, don't throw like 60 curves, but maybe that might even be a, a, a wise tale, too. If you're able to repeat your arm slot with the curve, why is that going to be a problem for your arm? Right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of those old fashioned kind of beliefs that I think we really got to take a step back and re- reassess. Like when it rains and I'm outside, if I'm not already sick, the rain's not going to make me sick. If I'm already sick, it can give me pneumonia. But if I just stand in the rain, what, does the rain have germs? Why am I going to get sick? That's always been one that blew my mind too. Right. Yeah, I, I think we just have to appreciate exactly who Gavin Weir is. We have to, you know, love watching him pitch. Uh, and just the, the thing that everybody should keep in mind for all sports is that speculation will never get you to any good place. No. There is nothing positive that comes out of speculating about somebody's injury. Oh, hell no. Speculating oh. in general. Yeah, you'll, you'll get the one time you're right, and you can say, oh, I told you so. Nice. Okay. But that's it. That's it. And nobody believes you when you, you say You want to say, I told you so? I told you that 12-year-old was going to blow his elbow out. See, I was right. And you're a dick. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're an ass no matter what. Right. But on the other side of things, I think they've done a really good job in Little League with, with the rules, the pitching rules. Mm-hmm. They actually consulted James Andrews on that. And, and Dr. James Andrews was saying, you know, this is how you should do it. I know that they don't have, you're not allowed to catch after you pitch, which is really smart. And yeah. like little things like that, that I think is going to start to make its way into the next generation. I hope that that's where we'll see a difference because right now we're still seeing the tail end of the big leaguers that had the lack of rules in the little, in little league. And I really think that that's a tone setter for the rest of your career. I remember, you know, I had shoulder issues my entire my entire life, pretty much uh, starting back when I was 12 years old, maybe even a little bit younger than that. And, and I remember it really bothering me. Even if I shut down at 12 years old, I, at Cooperstown, I had to only play first. And so like when it goes back that far, you got to think that for a lot of kids, it might be starting right there. So I wonder if this next generation of players, because of the rules that we're putting in on these younger players, I wonder if it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't, but I, I'm interested to see how that develops over the next five five to eight years. Cause I feel like that's where we'll start to see the changing of the guard of players that have kind of had a different set of rules when they played through little league. Yeah. And the new generation is showing up. This is a perfect transition, right? The way you, you led me up to this, the best of the old guard just hit 500. Yep. Miguel Cabrera. You remember him when he was the new school in Miami. Of course, everybody remembers his triple crown season and stealing an MVP from Mike Trout back in the early 2010s. This guy when you contextualize, and we will do that, is one of the greatest players baseball has seen in the last 20 to 25 years. Yeah, and, and really one of the greatest hitters ever, all things considered, right? But when you talk about the last 20 to 25 years, throughout a game that has gone through a lot of changes, even in the duration of Miguel Cabrera's career itself, he has been one constant, right? Miguel Cabrera has always been Miguel Cabrera, and he's consistently been up until, you know, these later years here, but even still finding a way to drive in runs, finding a way to still be somewhat productive, uh, just has always been that guy that drives in runs, hits for power, well-rounded him and Pujols, right. Are just kind of in this league of their own when it comes to right-handed hitters that hit for power that don't strike out a lot and just were consistently good for a decade. You look at 2000 and I know Pujols was a little bit earlier, but 2003 to 2016, Nobody's dominating the game like those two. Uh, You mentioned the Triple Crown. It's just special. For me, being able to watch him come up, I have very vague memories of 03. And, you know, the the one at bat that's talked about a lot, and this one stuck with me a lot because I would go back and watch it every year for the last 15 years, was that at bat against Roger Clemens, where Miguel Cabrera, 20 years old, 
know, steps up to the plate in the World Series. He had just gotten called up about 60 games prior to help the Marlins make that run to, to the World Series. Roger Clemens is 41. It's his big final game, quote unquote, after he fake retired for the third time. And you got flashing lights everywhere. And you know what? Roger Clemens was an old country hardball guy, and he goes up and in first pitch to Miggy. And Miggy ducks out of the way, steps right back in, and takes two bad swings. He chases or he gets blown by a fastball, I think. And then he swings through a breaking ball down. So now you're, you're wanting to against a stud pitcher who, who the only ball was one that brushed you back. Mm-hmm. He spoils, spoils, good take, good take, and then shoots one over the wall into right field. To me, that at bat, and I asked Jeff Conan about this. He said, that at bat for me, when I saw that, I was like, this kid, is this is, this is a microcosm of what's going to be an incredible, incredible career. And that's exactly what it was. He was unfazed. He always has been by the moment, by the big moment, whether he's 20 years old in the World Series or 38, 39 years old going for his 500th home run. He always has remained consistent. And I think that's why we, we're looking at one of the best players ever. And he's always been fun as hell. Has yep. he not been? Always. Always. I mean, this guy is, is hilarious. Everybody that interacts with him loves him. I, the way that he plays around with people when he's playing first base, right? The way that he, he plays around with his teammates in the dugout. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is as universally respected a guy as baseball has right now and as universally loved across baseball. I've never met anybody that says, I hate Miguel Cabrera. No. No, and what's great too is is you know he did have some issues earlier on in his in his big league career uh, where he was getting into a little bit of trouble, and uh, he really owned it after he had gotten I believe I believe it was it was a DUI. There was some I'll, I'll have to confirm that because I don't want to speculate. Like we say, you don't speculate on on anything, and and it was there was definitely some issues with him with the team, and uh, in terms of just you know being a kid, he was 22 years old, thrusted in the spotlight, and he got into some trouble, and. He owned it, he fixed it, and he improved himself as a person on and off the field. And everybody has nothing but good things to say about him, whether it's former Marlins president David Sampson, who says, you know, trading him was the biggest mistake they ever made, or whether it was Jeff Conine, who we're lucky enough to, you know, be able to work with. And that says, you know, I watched this guy come up when I was 37 and and just knew right away that he was going to be a superstar, you know, and, and that he was going to be that guy on the field and off the field. And he has been that guy. And he really, there's a reason why the Tigers have kept him around through this rebuild too. He's somebody that they want grooming their young players as well. You know, he's somebody that you want around these young guys. Yeah. Just to confirm, it was a DUI in, in okay. February of 2011. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's one of those things that it's a blemish, but um, yeah, Miguel Cabrera, I do want to, I do want to shout something out numerically right now. Because you pull up his fan graphs and there's something that jumps out to me. And you mentioned it with Pujols, right? Amazing power, but just a pure effing hitter. Like so good at hitting the baseball. Miguel Cabrera had a 21% strikeout rate in 2004 with the Marlins as a 21-year-old. 21-year-old. The next time he had a strikeout rate over 20% was as a 34-year-old. So during the peak of his powers, he never struck out more than 20% of the time. His biggest years, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, let's take 2011, had a 16% walk rate, a 13% strikeout rate. 2013 had a 14% walk rate, a 14% strikeout rate. That marks an un 
unfathomably, unfathomably good hitter. Yeah. I mean, that's just the best way to put it. And the crazy thing about Mickey too is I think people gloss over the triple crown sometimes. Like, look, this has not happened besides Mickey since 1967 with Carl Yaskramski. 1967. I mean, a gas was probably 20 cents then, right? Like <laughs> he, he was doing something in today's game, which is so damn hard in today's game to hit for the triple crown. Cause you've got guys that only hit home runs. You've got guys that only hit for batting average, which is rare now, but you have so many different types of players that to, to lead in the three major categories in today's game is just absurd. And when you have somebody like Justin Verlander in 2013, which he said, Miguel Cabrera could easily be the best hitter ever if he stays healthy. And, you know, that might be a little bit extreme given that, you know, it's hard to compare him to Mickey Mantle or any of those guys, but you know what, when it's all said and done, he's not that far off from being one of the best hitters ever. And especially when we talk about the modern era and that's just ridiculous to be able to say about anybody. Yeah, no, it's stupid. And I want to shout something else out because it, it just goes to show how much not striking out matters. I want to point out, the 2013 season that was his best war year 8.6 i think 2013 was when he won that triple crown over mike trout or was that 2012 20 what was it the triple crown yeah uh the triple crown i should definitely know this the The triple triple crown crown was in 2012 okay and then he won his back-to-back mvps in 2013 so 2012 actually this is perfect i can point out 2012 and 2013 your batting average on balls in play for your typical slugger is what a hundred points higher than your batting average. Generally, of course, you know, there's outliers to anything, but yeah, generally. Okay. So if Miguel Cabrera had a 356 batting average on balls in play, a typical slugger you think would have a 256 batting average in 2012, Miggy had a 331 BABIP and a 330 batting average. Oh my gosh. In 2013, he had a 356 BABIP and a 348 batting average. So like this guy, when he put the ball in play, it was hard and it was a base hit. And he always put the ball in play. That's what made him an MVP. You put the ball in play constantly. The strikeout king is never going to win an MVP. Sorry, Javi Baez. Sorry, (laughs) Joey Gallo. But Shohei Otani, yes, he strikes out. He doesn't strike out a lot. Vladdy Jr. strikes out. He doesn't strike out all the time. Honestly, Flatty, you'd be shocked at how little he strikes out, frankly. Right. I, I mean, it, it's it's amazing how I, I consistently say, and I'm glad you mentioned Vladdy. To me, Vladdy might be the closest thing we'll see to Miguel Cabrera. I think so. He, he really might be. And even you mentioned like Stanton. When Stanton won the MVP, it was one of his best years strikeout wise. He struck out a decent amount, but he struck out 163 times in 692 plate appearances. Like that was pretty solid for him. <laughs> like that was some of the best contact he made his entire career. Cause the next yep. year he followed it up with 211 punchies uh, in, in New York and not as many plate appearances. So it's pretty crazy to see how just putting the ball in play. Isn't that wild how that works? You put the ball in play more, you end up hitting the ball better and hitting for a more average. What's crazy too, is the following year, the year you're referencing after he won the triple crown 2013, he almost did it again. Yeah. And he came in second in two of the three categories and came in first in one of the categories. So to, to almost go back to back on something that was not done since 67 and hasn't been done since, I don't know what, what else you have to say there to, to really describe how incredible it is. 
And I want to read you my favorite quote because it kind of piggybacks off of the Miguel Cabrera at bat against uh, Clemens that, uh, you know, I was just breaking down. Perfect. He said this in 2004 to the Miami Herald. So this was as a 21-year-old. I only fear death, nothing else. You can't do anything in fear. You have to be tranquil and believe. Jesus. Just love that quote. That's 21-year-old. 21-year-old saying that. That's some shit. Did he pull that from The Revenant before The Revenant came out? <laughs> Revenant wasn't even a... That's, uh, no, that's like 20 years pre-Revenant. They're yeah. like 15. Yeah, maybe The Revenant got it from Miguel Cabrera. I did, probably. So obviously that begs the question, is he a Hall of Famer? And the answer is yes. 1,000 yeah, times over, yes. Is he yes. a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. I think so yeah. too. He's so, got 3,000 hits and 500 homers and he's going to be over a 300 hitter. Yep. And he's a great guy and he's a great dude, which is unfortunately matters a lot. You know, like it it really does. It it really does. So if you're a great guy, they're going to vote for you first time around. Like whoever the psychopath was that didn't vote for Derek Jeter, you're weird. But like, yeah, you're a jackass. And like, who were the freaks that didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. First time around? There were three. There was one that constantly pulls in, constantly puts in annually an empty ballot because he thinks that the voting process is stupid or something. Like, why are you still wasting a vote on this? Why do you give it to us? Give it to us. You know, one one just baseball vote where you, I, you, Peter, and I just yell at each other until we finally settle on a ballot. Perfect. We Jeff should make Kemp. our ballot this coming year. We should do that. That'd be a good episode. Yeah, let's do one. Let's absolutely do one. That sounds great to me. Yeah. Uh, so now we get into the conversation. Who were the Hall of Famers that you can get out and watch now? And yeah. we're going to talk about the older guys that are on the downswing of their career that are getting in. We're going to talk about the guys at the peak of their powers. And we're also going to talk about the young guys that are projecting well and could be future Hall of Famers that we see. We have no idea. Let's start on the back end. Pujols is name number one, who is a first ballot. Easy. If he's not unanimous, I don't know what we're doing. There's another guy that jumps out to me. Pitcher in LA, Clayton Kershaw. Like he feels like another unanimous Hall of oh. Famer. Yeah, and, and I bet he won't be unanimous because some some annoying writer will say, the postseason, da, 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 da. But if you don't make him a unanimous Hall of Famer, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Who else I mean, jumps out? Pujols. Kershaw, Verlander. Otto, how about? Well, oh yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go with the locks first. I mean, Scherzer. Scherzer is a lock. Of Scherzer's all. a lock. He could stop playing now, and he's in, right? But he's still dealing. He's still shoving. So right. he's just racking up those numbers. Scherzer is a virtual, virtual lock. How about Verlander? Verlander, guarantee. You know, like that's a guy that's getting in, no problem. Uh, that those guys for sure for me are in. I, I've been surprised to see people like hesitant on on Yachty at times and people say oh maybe Yachty was a little overrated in some ways Yachty's it I'm sorry Yachty's in in my opinion too maybe not first ballot but in my eyes he's a first ballot guy uh, but then you start looking at other players that's where it gets interesting I mean we're probably missing some arms it's a shame if you look at maybe someone like Mad Bum if he didn't just fall off a cliff he was probably well on his way with his postseason resume uh, but but who are we missing? Because I, I look at some of these players at the top in terms of war and yeah, Pujols, no brainer, Trout, no brainer. Even if he stopped playing now, I think he's in. Right. Uh, you look at Miggy, he's in. To me, Vado's in. Verlander, Scherzer. Who else? When I'm looking at career war, I see some guys in the top 10 that I was not expecting to see up here. Zach Granke is third among active war. Is I think Zach- Granke's a Hall of Famer. You think so? I'm not sure. 
I think Greinke's a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure. Okay, agree to disagree there. I don't even know if I'm disagreeing, though. How about Robinson Cano? Roids twice. Roids twice. That's a big problem. And he signed the massive contract. If Bonds and Clemens get in, is Cano a Hall of Famer? Yeah, you just got to make him sweat it out then too, right? You, right, you he's make him eighth year or ninth year. Ninth year, yeah. Eighth, ninth year. Can I say one thing on Granky though, real quick? Yeah. Over 3,000 innings pitched, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, he has amassed a 337 ERA in his entire career, 219 wins, and he's not done. So he, and I think he's got another year or two in him easily. I mean, he's pitching to a 343 ERA right now. He's 11 and three. He's 11 yeah. and three. He's leading the league in games started so far this year. He's got 150 innings. So as he continues to amass these numbers, he's well on his way to 3,000 Ks too. How many guys have 3,000 Ks that aren't in the uh, Hall of Fame? He has a Cy Young. He has a Cy Young runner-up. He's won a handful of gold gloves as well. I, I really, I mean, we could spend time talking about that. That's one we'll circle back to in the offseason for sure because it's a fun conversation. Uh, but I, I'm big. I'm big on on Granky. I just think he's been he's just been so consistent for so long. And I think he's got a cool story, too, as a guy that's overcome some anxiety issues and uh, is, is quirky in, a, in his own way and just owns it. And I just love the way he, he plays. He also rakes. If that matters at all, he rakes. I, I think the answer might be. Let's see. The answer is two to your question. How many guys um, have 3000 strikeouts that are not in the Hall of Fame? So the top, let's see, the top 14 from Nolan Ryan to Bob Gibson are in the Hall of Fame. 15 and 16, Kurt Schilling and CeCe Sabathia are the two retired that are not in. Ah, Well, Kurt Kurt would be in if he wasn't a total piece of garbage. Yes. And and CeCe's probably going to get in. I think so, too. So there you go. CeCe's going to get in. Um, The only other guy that has 3,000 strikeouts that is not in is Justin Verlander, and Verlander gets in. Scherzer is less than 40 away from 3,000, and he's, he's going to get in. Okay, there you go. Huh. Yeah, if he gets to 3,000, I guess that's kind of the, the cutoff point, right? 500 home runs is the cutoff point for hitters. If you hit yeah. that, then you're likely in. Oh, yeah. I mean, which drives me nuts, because you know who should be in? Fred McGriff. He's, I think, seven home runs shy of 500. I bet you because baseball is so weird with those thresholds. If Fred McGriff hit those seven more home runs or seven or nine, whatever it is, he would be in the hall of fame, which is so stupid because his numbers are insane. It It drives me nuts. Crime dog. I heard you mention Joey Votto for a moment. I think Joey Votto is a hall of famer. He is. He is because I forget what the exact stat was, but the, the numbers around him in terms of a guy that has gotten on base while hitting for power, while being a great defender at first. Talk about a great dude as well. The on-base percentage, I think it was something that players with an on-base percentage in their career above 390 and 2,000 hits, I believe the only two other ones were like Ted Williams and somebody else. Like It was, it was some crazy, crazy stat uh, that to me, I was like, okay, yeah, just put this guy in. And he's not done. He's not done. He's been the best player in the entire league in the second half. True. I mean, who's been better than him? True. I want to bring up a couple of fringy names, quick fire, and then we'll get into guys that are kind of at their peak right now. But some other guys that I just don't know the answer to. Uh, Cole Hamels, is he a Hall of Famer? No, I think he's Hall of Very Good. I agree. Um, Evan Longoria, is he a Hall of Famer? Very good. Okay, agreed. Chris Sale? Need more. Yeah, I need two more years of Chris Sale. Yes, 
but he looks great. So he, he's on his way. He does look great. Andrew McCutcheon. I want to say yes so bad, but just not enough, not enough body of work there. But he's not done either. I, I just think the fall off still, uh, I, I don't think McCutcheon's in there. But again, that's a guy, Hall of Very Good. I hope he gets some votes and stays on the ballot for a year or two. Yep. Uh, but he's not in, in my opinion. And then how about Adam Wainwright? I think Adam Wainwright should get in. Me too. I, I really do because what he has been able to do for surviving basically two, like a, two, he's part of two different generations of baseball, basically. There's nobody else in the game besides Yachty that has been there since 05. The guy's a gamer. The guy has amassed just crazy career numbers. I know he's only at 1971 in terms of K's, but another guy that just was consistent for so long and just three top three or four top three Cy Young finishes. He never won one, but four top three Cy Young finishes. And I do believe that there's something to be said about a player that does it all with one team. I really think there's a value to that. And and Wainwright has just been so consistent for so long. I think that it's stretching it a little bit to put him in, um, but he might be one of those exceptions that like a Barry Larkin type where he might not meet all of the statistical criteria, but he just is a hall of famer and you can't really put uh, a, a reason why beyond just that he is <laughs> as dumb as that sounds. I'll tell you right now, there's a whole generation of pitchers coming up that have already gotten there. I've had this conversation with Reed Detmers before Reed said that Adam Wainwright's curveball had a massive impact on his curveball. Adam Wainwright was one of the three guys that he said he watched growing up Wainwright, Lester, Clayton Kershaw. If Wainwright's curveball inspires a younger generation of curveballs, that tells you the only thing you got to know. He's had yeah. an impact on the game, and he's all. Oh, he no doubt has it. And again, to reference Jeff, because I asked Jeff about Wayno as uh, we were writing about him for one of the stories that we put on JustBaseball.com, and uh, Jeff just said the the curveball is is one of the best pitches we've seen in the last ten to fifteen years. Like mm-hmm. that good, and and we talk about the Kershaw curveball. I think he's got the righty curveball that is just the enviable pitch uh, and, and we're seeing it still work he totally. throws it more than any other pitch in this phase of his career which is pretty nuts one other guy too or two other guys i want to reference buster posey doesn't quite have the body of work but now all of a sudden is is raking again if he gives us one or two more years like this i think he's in given his postseason stature the mvp uh all that he has done winning those those World Series titles on multiple occasions, three of them. You know, I just think Posey's got to be somebody that gets in. And then you might, people might hate to hear it, but well on his way. He's got more work to do, but well on his way is Manny Machado. Absolutely. And I don't think people realize what Manny Machado has done already. He's 28 years old, 28 years old. He's a 280 career hitter. He's already got 1,387 hits. So he's almost halfway to 3,000. I don't know if he's going to get to 3,000. He's going to be well over 2,000. He has 245 homers already, and he's got at least eight more seasons in him. He's going to hit 500 bombs, I think, or at least 400. His defense is stellar, as we know, and he's going to hit for a high average. I don't really see how Manny Machado isn't a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Obviously, he could fall off a cliff, and that's where I want to talk about when people are like, well, what about Acuna? What about this guy? What about right. that guy? They could fall off how much better? How much better is Ronald Acuna than Andrew Jones was through his first eight seasons? Is he that much better? I want to say yes, but it's really bias. Yeah, because that this is what I want to wrap up on here, because maybe I'm wrong. This is this is more me just asking. I'm not trying to, like, make a case against Ronald Acuna. I think Ronald Acuna could, when it's all said and done, be one of the greatest to ever do it. Right. I mean, we're talking about an absolute phenom. But when you look at roughly the first, 
I would say he definitely was better than Andrew Jones, but the defense that Andrew Jones brought, we're talking about one of the best defensive center fielders ever through Andrew Jones's first 800 games, hit 162 homers hit 850 OPS. He won multiple gold gloves was one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. Yes. He didn't have to quite the same offensive output, but fell off a freaking cliff after 29 years old. That's why I think it's so hard to be able to say anything on these guys about hall of fame until they get to like 28, 29. Then you can start talking about it like yep. trout, but I, I think so, Soto and Acuna are well on their way, but I can guarantee that if you ask your dad or I asked, you know, my father or, or, or anybody, anybody else that used to watch the game for so long uh, or my grandfather, or whoever it is, they'll say, Oh, I thought this, 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 and this guy, we're going to be for sure hall of famers. And it didn't happen. Yep. Um, so it, it just shows you the recency bias, how much it can affect us. If I'm betting my money, I'm putting it all on Acuna making the hall of fame. Uh, but I think we, we should focus on the guys that are 28, 29 years old. Cause I know it's going to get brought up in our comments and stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and same deal with me. If I, if I was a betting man, it would be a Cunha to the hall. It would be Juan Soto to the hall easily. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's that type of thing where you just don't see their game falling off whatsoever. But I do want to fully wrap up this pod talking about the guys that are well on their way in that age range, like Machado and trout that you're talking about. The guy that jumps to my mind is Bryce Harper. Is he well on his way to the hall or is he well on his way to the hall of very good? I think he's well on his way to the hall as well. And, and the thing with Harper is this Harper was set up to disappoint almost no matter what, because unless he became Mike Trout, who he was being compared to, right. It was like, who would you rather have Mike Trout or Bryce Harper, which sucks for him out of the gate to to have that brought up. You read some of the articles that came out on him when he was 16 years old, they were saying, uh, he could be the greatest to ever do it. They were comparing him to like a godlike figure. How are you going to meet those ex- expectations? You can't. The, you can't. So 277, 395, 18 as a slash line in your career, that is freaking good. 907 OPS, uh, but the greatest to ever do it would be better than that, right? So you just set him up for failure, essentially. He, he gave us one of the best seasons we've seen in the last 30 years in 2015. And I know you guys talked about that recently in the pod. One of the best seasons we've ever seen in terms of WRC plus in terms of everything won that MVP. There's something, definitely something that matters there in terms of having one of the most single dominant seasons we've ever seen. And also even his down years are good, right? Like we've never seen him have an OPS under 750. The only time that he was even below 800 was when he was banged up in 2014 as a 21 year old. Right. So when I look at that, I think he's well on his way. Nobody pitches to him. Uh, he's going to have a 400 on base percentage somewhere around that when it's all said and done the last two years, he's getting on base at a 415, 418 clip. You combine the two years to me, he's well on his way. He's going to hit at least 400 homers. Plus Uh, he's going to be a guy that gets on base a ton. And what really bums me out, I was talking about this yesterday on Harper. I know I'm being long winded right now, but if Harper would come up now, I think he'd be so much more open and be himself, Mm -hmm. but because he came up just before we entered this, revolutionary era of Fernando Tatis and let the kids play and let the kids have fun. Bryce Harper got bullied into becoming this more reserved version of himself. Totally. And it really is sad to see because he was fun. He was exciting. He had a great personality and he could be the face of baseball right now. And he's not because he was bullied into shutting up and he did it. He kind of shut up, make, make baseball fun again, all that stuff that you got bullied into it. That's a clown question, bro. Remember that he got yep. ridiculed. Like, what is this? Are you, you know, are you a kid? Yes. It was a shitty question. It was a clown question, bro. Yes. yes. So I, I, I really, that does bother me a lot. And I, think, I wish Bryce would just end up, 
I hope he comes out in his thirties and just is like the biggest, just flashy, obnoxious guy in the world. He won't, but I would love to see that because he's, he's a fun dude and he got bullied into holding that all in. I think he figured out how to be the character that he wants to play after he rocked Jonathan Papelbon. I think that was a turning point in his career because he realized some people are going to look at me as the bad boy because I've been the bad boy through my early 20s because I worked against the grain of baseball's reserved nature. I joined their reserved nature, but now I'm going to be the dick. Like nobody is going to want to cheer for me when I go to the opposing ballpark. And I think he's really embraced that villain role and it's made him one of the best in the game. And oh my God, do I love the villain. Oh, it's so fun to watch the villain. Absolutely. As long as it's not the Astros, right? I mean, it's fun to watch the villain. That's not really a villain, right? Like the villain, because he's himself, the villain, because he's not, he doesn't care that you don't want him to succeed. Bryce Harper, that you don't like him. Bryce Harper is the villain to you because he kills your team. Exactly. Which I love. I love it. To me, there's no big Trey young even right. Trey young in the, in the postseason in New York. Yep. Him getting booed is, is, is a compliment. You know, that was problem. firing him up. If I'm getting booed because, and I didn't do anything, you know, I didn't say anything bad about the other team's fan base or whatever it may be, or I didn't hurt one of their players, but whatever it may be, if it's just because I tear you apart, that would just be the coolest thing ever. So I think thing. Bryce has pivoted to that at least. And it's a nice consolation prize, but I would love to see Bryce be Tatis because Bryce was Tatis before Tatis was Tatis. <laughs> This is a great way to end the pod. That's RM Layton. I'm Jack McMullen at Just Baseball Fans on TikTok and Instagram at Just BB Media on Twitter. Like, subscribe, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Listen on Spotify, twitch.tv slash Just Baseball Fans. And uh, this was a good one, man. I'll talk to you next Monday. It always is. And I will be fired up next Monday. Man.